We believe that all people are beloved image bearers of God, imbued with dignity. We believe that the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice. We believe in the reality of redemption. Still, we cannot deny that the human story is one filled with oppression and injustice. But although we can't deny it, we can defy it. We can use our eyes to truly see the injustice around and within us. We can let our hearts fill with the compassion of Christ for those who are suffering. And we can put our hands to work to right these wrongs and break these cycles wherever we find them. We can participate in the coming Shalom. We can choose justice. Again, I'm Benjamin, one of your pastors here, as I think you all know. So this, uh, this is the beginning of a new series called Justice. And I really believe that this is the right time for this series, that we have things to learn here. We have things to discuss here, things to explore here, things to, I don't know, expand here. And maybe get underneath why we do some of the things that we do as far as our kingdom work. So, I invite you to open, no, not open, to listen with open ears, open minds, open hearts, ready to receive, to observe, to listen. Let's do it. So, we have a culture that's obsessed with justice, really obsessed with justice. Think about that. Generally speaking, people want to know, I want to know, you want to know that we're going to be protected, right? The wrongdoers will be punished, that things will pan out the way that they should, that, that rightness, righteousness will happen. I mean, we have a whole genre of films called revenge, right? Revenge movies. We have a lot of those, a whole lot of them. They keep making them. They're always going to make them because there's something in us that really likes to see someone go out and get the justice, right? We can think of a bunch of examples right now. Um, but less popular, I think, are the stories where people realize that they've acted unjustly and that they go and that they make it right. There's some stories like that, but they're a little less popular than John Wick. Um, or stories where people go out to the oppressed and, and seek to bring them justice. There's some amazing stories out there, probably not as popular as the to get them back stories. So what I'd like to do is look at what is biblical justice and biblical injustice. How do we learn to recognize it, and how do we learn to respond to it? And what are our responsibilities? What are we called toward? as followers of Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, how did he deal with injustice? What did he say? What did he do about it? And how did he do it? So these are the questions that we're going to be exploring together. I'm excited. You excited? Say yes. Yay. All right. So first, to, before we can even get to the idea of justice, we need to talk about the idea of shalom. Shalom. Now, 
that's a churchy word. If you grew up in church, you probably heard that word. It's a Hebrew word, shalom, right? And what, if you had to define it with one word, what would it be, guys? Peace, right? That, that's a, if you got to put one word on it, that's a pretty good word to put on it. But as you probably know, there is so much more to this word than peace. So much more. So, uh, let's look at this definition on the screen. Shalom is about the wholeness, harmony, and flourishing that results when we choose to live into the perfect wisdom of God's created order. Shalom is about the wholeness, harmony, and flourishing that results when we choose to live into the perfect wisdom of God's created order. Shalom is both a trajectory and the end of the story. So it's when people agree in word and deed that God's way is the way of human flourishing. So let's think about it like this. Let's say there's this family. They have two daughters living there, two parents, two daughters. And these two daughters are constantly bickering and arguing and fighting. And it's hard to live with and it feels chaotic. Um, not that anyone here could relate to any of that. Um, but so it feels chaotic. They're always at each other, right? <clears throat> but then one day it just stops. It just stops. They just stop the arguing. Maybe it's because they grew up a little bit. Time has passed. Maybe they matured a little bit. Maybe they just realized that just coexisting is easier than fighting all the time. But for whatever reason, the house was quiet and calm. The conflict, the constant conflict was over. You could call that peace. You could probably call that peace, right? Now it's no more conflict, no more chaos. It, there's peace now. But that's not shalom, is it? That's not shalom. We could only call that peace. But if shalom had come into the house, it would look quite differently, right? It's about wholeness and harmony and flourishing. So peace can be transactional, like an agreement, but shalom is always relational. Shalom is always relational. So shalom would be no accident. It would be not a result of just the passage of time, but shalom would be if the sisters came together and their relationship was mended and, and made whole and made sound. It would be communication that, that led to union and led to understanding. Silence in the absence of conflict can look like peace, but shalom is the presence of reconciliation and redemption and flourishing relationship. Do you see the difference between peace and shalom? So back to our definition, shalom is about the wholeness, harmony, and flourishing that results when we choose to live into the perfect wisdom of God's created order. And there are some things that we would like to add into that definition, right? For, so me, for one, no one would turn the heat on prematurely um, and not past 68 degrees. Everyone would use their turn signals while driving. And everyone, all the earth, would replace the toilet paper roll and put it where it goes over the top, not the bottom, because going under the bottom is not shalom. 
<clears throat> now, those last parts, I'm not sure if those are, strictly speaking, scriptural per se. Maybe those were more about me. But um, in my shalom, that's what would happen. Um, okay, but seriously, um, Pastor Kurt Willems puts it like this. This is on the screen for you. He says, God creates a functional universe and declares it to be very good. God's creation project is not static, but designed to flourish with humanity as God's image bearers. Humanity was created as icons, image bearers, to live in four harmonious relationships to God, others, self, and creation. And he goes on to say, this harmonious God-ordained web of relationships is shalom. So, let's go to the word itself, shalom. This should be up there too for you. Completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. It's a noun, right? But it comes from this word, shalom. Bet you can see how that came from that. Um, which means, look at that, amends. Do you see that? That's more than a peace treaty. Amends, and that is a verb. Interesting. To be complete or sound. Complete or sound. Can you even begin to imagine that being the way of the world? Every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord and the crooked made straight and the rough places plain and the strife of the nations brought under the righteous order of God's perfect peace. Can you imagine it? And not because they're forced to, but because they see and recognize that God's heart and his word is true and right. So they choose his way. I hope you can imagine that. I hope you can imagine that because as followers of Jesus, we know that that's where we're going. And we know that our kingdom work is bringing that shalom here and now. We know that we're charged to be the salt and the light and this, the, the agents of shalom to participate in the coming wholeness. So you might be thinking right about now, okay, I thought we were talking about justice. And we have been talking about shalom a lot. Well, the reason for that is because one of the key ingredients of shalom is God's justice being done. In that beautiful gumbo of shalom, justice is being done. Which means that we could turn that inside out and say that injustice is a violation of shalom. Injustice is a violation of shalom. Okay, so let's get to justice now. Let's get to justice now. So you have a word that is used in the Old Testament a lot, the Hebrew word, and then you have a word that's used in the New Testament a lot, a Greek word, of course. So let's look at the Hebrew one. It's mishpat, and it means justice. <clears throat> Sorry, it means judgment, and it is a noun. It's a thing. Right? And so that word, mishpat, comes from a word, shafat, which means to act as a judge or to govern, to wield some sort of authority into something, right? And then the Greek word that's used a lot in the New Testament, ektikos, 
It means exacting penalty from or avenging. And that's an adjective. And now look at this, the usage. Avenging, an avenger, epic. Um, The word occurs frequently in the sense of a special advocate. A special advocate or a champion of a city. Oh, well, that's interesting, too. That's interesting, too, because it's kind of fun to be like, yeah, somebody, Jesus, somebody's going to exact penalty from and avenge. Yeah. Wait a second. As a special advocate and a champion of a city? And that word, ekdikos, it comes from two words. I think that's up here, too. Yeah. Uh, Ek and dike, which means from out of and rightness or justice. So at first glance, we might kind of want to look at this word like a John Wick word, right? Like, avenge him. But when we dig into it, we're talking about a special advocate who acts from out of God's rightness and justice. So, there are two types of this justice that we need to talk about today. Two types of justice we need to talk about. Retributive justice and restorative justice. You know, when I was younger, growing up in my faith tradition, justice felt like something that was out of my hands. That didn't involve me, right? Like there's grown-ups to do that. There are court systems. There are authority figures. And justice is about making sure that if someone did something wrong, they get the right consequences. Out of my hands. All right? And that isn't wrong to a certain extent. Like sometimes we need that kind of justice, the retributive kind of justice. So retributive justice We're talking about like the word retribution, right? Retributive justice. So that's about consequences, about punishment, right? And sometimes in a civil society, that has to happen. That has to happen. And we find this retributive justice all through the Bible too, right? You may recall a little phrase that's kind of stuck in the human imagination for quite a while, an eye for an eye, right? Recall that phrase, an eye for an eye. That may come to mind, retributive justice. But there's a lot more to this retributive justice idea, okay? So uh, while there's retributive justice, there's also restorative justice. So let's look at that. So this is the type of justice often referred to in the Bible and even in the Old Testament laws, but especially under the new covenant of Jesus that commands us to love God and love others the way that he's shown us how. So think about turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Now, eye for an eye, turn the other cheek. Neither one of those may sound very just or very proper right now, right? Like, wait a second, those are justice? And they may not even sound compatible with one another. But let's think about this. So an eye for an eye. This sounds pretty brutal in the year 2020, doesn't it? Even though sometimes, would kind of like to do that. Uh, but if we're being, you know, calm, we, we can say an eye for an eye, duh, maybe that's a little brutal. But think about that. 
in ancient times, if uh, someone uh, plucked out your eye or poked your eye out, right, you might want to do more than that to pay them back, right? You might want to uh, attack their family or burn down their dwelling or steal their livestock or someone might even want to kill them in revenge for having gouged their eye out. But an eye for an eye, retributive justice says no. Stop before it gets to the point of vengeance and wrath. You see that? Before it gets to vengeance and wrath, stop right here. And if someone literally did gouge someone's eye out, and then the same was done to them due to retributive justice, wouldn't they know exactly how that other person felt by also losing their eye? Now, I'm not advocating for this. I'm just saying we look at the Old Testament and we go, gosh, that's brutal, an eye for an eye. But actually, an idea like that could have been quite radical for an ancient group of people. So... But Jesus came along and upped the ante, like he did, right? He didn't come to erase all the law or break it apart, but he came to fulfill it. And he usually does that by upping the ante one to show us that we can't do it on our own. We're going to need grace. So he said, if someone slaps you in the face, you can turn the other cheek. And that, we want to feel like that is weak and like a bunch of doormats. But think about this. Imagine Jesus' audience. He's talking to his fellow uh, Jews. And they're picturing, when he's talking about this, maybe being struck down by a Roman soldier, right? Who was occupying the area at the time with violence and power. So think about a Roman soldier punching one of these listeners in the face so hard that they fall to the ground. And now think about what Jesus said, turn the other cheek. It's almost like he's saying, hey, don't run away. Don't cower. Don't bow down. And don't grab a sword and attack. Simply stand up and assert your dignity while not attacking their dignity and turn the other cheek. Wow. That's restorative justice. Justice that is about giving the wholeness of shalom a chance to take root in an unjust situation. Restorative justice is about discipline, not punishment. It's about restoration, not separation. You with me? Restorative justice is about discipline. It's about instruction, not punishment. It's about restoration, not separation. So do you see how this theme of radical justice, be it retributive or restorative, is woven throughout the biblical narrative? But here's the thing. For us, now we don't live under the old law, the old covenant. We live under the new covenant, the command to love as Jesus showed us how to love. So and this is important. We now know that when there is a need for retributive justice, it should only be the means to an end. And the end would be restorative justice. In other words, when there's a real need for consequences 
to be allowed or even imposed. It should be us acting out of the righteousness of God toward the restoration and love of God. Okay, let's say that again. Retributive justice should only be the means to the end of restorative justice. If there are consequences to be imposed, it is us acting out of the righteousness of God toward, it's going somewhere, toward the restoration and love of God, toward shalom. So, here's what I mean. Let's go back to the sisters who were fighting all the time. Um, so, retributive justice would be the parents just doling out punishments, right? Take this away, whatever they want to do for consequences or punishments. Handing down consequences for their actions. But if those consequences don't come with nurturing and instruction, then there's no chance for restorative justice to take place here. So imagine that the parents sat their daughters down and began to explain, here are some consequences because they need to happen. But the reason is because we're talking to you about the way that we're going to love like Jesus loves. And we're talking about why reconciliation, not just calm or quiet or absence of conflict, but reconciliation is important. And what if they teach their daughters why just ceasing hostilities isn't enough? Because we're called to more than that. We're called to the ministry of reconciliation. So the consequences the parents allowed are only because they're a vehicle for the learning, the value of restorative justice of a trajectory toward shalom. Does that make sense, church? And that idea where someone sees the injustice and they step into the situation to plant seeds of shalom, that's what we're talking about with this series. Right? So remember that word, the Greek word, ektikos? There's the idea that someone acts as a judge or, or governs, like steps in to govern a situation, but they do so from out of justice or rightness, remember? From out of justice or rightness. In other words, they step into, they step in out of a desire to be an agent of shalom in a situation where injustice is hurting someone. Whether they're being hurt by us or someone else or something else, or systems of power. So we can see, church, we can see that justice is about more than equality. It's about more than punishing violators. It's about more than righting wrongs. It is about advocating for who Jesus refers to as the least of these. In other words, the least, the last, and the lost. The least, the last, and the lost. Now, if that starts to sound like some sort of agenda-laden political statement or culturally woke perspective or whatever, then I understand that. But I also understand that working for justice for the least and the last and the lost is what we find throughout the biblical narrative. Yes, even in the old covenant days. And we could go through a litany of laws about taking care of the least and the last and the lost in the old law, too. 
We see the trajectory of the least, last, and the lost being cared for throughout the Scripture. But most importantly, we see it consistently in the words and the actions of Jesus Himself. There are a treasure trove of beautiful stories where we learn about Jesus addressing injustice. And we're going to get to some of those stories over the next few weeks. But today, we're going to look at one of his parables. It's everyone's favorite, the sheep and the goats. And then everyone goes, yeah, everyone goes crazy. If you're driving and you're listening to the podcast, keep both hands on the wheel. This is exciting. No, I, I have come to love this parable. There is so much. Oh, man. Okay, we're going to read the parable. It's Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, and I'm in the NIV right now. Okay, when the Son of Man comes into His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. All the nations. And He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? Clearly, they weren't listening to the first group's announcement. Uh, 45, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There's so much to this parable. We've unpacked some of it before, many times actually. But today I want to call your attention to this part. The sheep that were accepted by the king character who Jesus says is the son of man, which he calls himself, they didn't get there because they repeated a special prayer or they went to church every time the doors were open. He said they were invited in because of the way that they agreed with Shalom by bringing justice to the least and the last and the lost. And even more radically than that, Jesus identifies himself as the least last and lost by saying when you cared for them, it was the same thing as caring for him. My friends, Jesus cared about justice 
particularly justice for those who are the most vulnerable. Those that are typically the ones who were the easiest to oppress by others who have more social or political or economic power. And that Greek word for punishment there at the end, sent into punishment, that word means correction, restorative, justice, correction. It means, uh, it's used to mean the dread of judgment for having shirked one's duty. Discipline, not punishment. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So, The agents of Shalom have done God's work on earth by bringing justice and mercy to the least, the last, and the lost. Those who didn't shirk their responsibility to treat those people like Jesus did. Surely we can glean something here, something true about the way the Son of Man valued bringing Shalom into places of injustice, especially those who needed justice the most. So, today, we have talked about shalom, right? How justice is acting out of the rightness of shalom and how injustice is a violation of shalom. We've talked about the difference between retributive and restorative justice and how we're called to be agents of shalom working for the restoration and wholeness in ourselves and those who need it most. And we talked about the emphasis and value that Jesus puts on justice for those who are most vulnerable to injustice, the least, the last, and the lost, the marginalized and disenfranchised and oppressed and scattered and poor. But guys, to be honest, we've only just scratched the surface because this was only an introduction, and we've got to go deeper. We've got to ask some questions of ourselves in light of the scripture and in light of the example set by Jesus so that we can be doers of the word and not just hearers. Questions like this, how do we learn to recognize the injustice in and around us? In and around us. Because sometimes we don't even realize we're participating in the injustice. Are our hearts moved the way that Jesus' was when he saw injustice? And if so, why not? Uh, And at the end of the day, what can we actually do to bring shalom into places of injustice? So, as we move through this series, we're going to use a story from Nehemiah as sort of an anchor passage like we do from time to time um, where he looked out at his people and saw some injustice going on. We're going to learn from that example and also from um, the example of Jesus as well. So we're going to learn how to engage injustice with our eyes and with our hearts and finally with our hands. Ben, you can come back up as we read this last scripture. Micah 6, 6 through 8 might be familiar to some of you. Right before this passage, um, 
people are being told what the Lord is going to do because he's upset. And then comes this part, starting with verse 6. Well, it's like, well, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high if he's so upset? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice. Do justice and to love kindness, or some of them say mercy, don't they? And to walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this teaching this morning. We thank you for preparing our hearts to receive what you wanted to teach us today, and we thank you for the ways that it's landed. And God, I pray that as we think about this conversation this week, that you would already begin to open our eyes to these places that Benjamin talked about, the places of injustice, maybe even that we participate in, and the places around us that sometimes maybe we overlook or don't know how to participate in some sort of wholeness. But God, I pray that you would allow us to see it and that you would draw us towards shalom in a deeper and more beautiful way, a way that calls us to action, that calls us to participate in this coming wholeness, that calls us toward shalom. And I pray that this would just stick, God, that we would be inspired, that we would be encouraged, not shamed, but moved to act. Thank you for the call that you have on this church. And I thank you for the ways that you're drawing us forward. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.